Welcome to the Farm Bits podcast. Farm Bits is proudly produced by the Nebraska Digital Agriculture Team and hosted by students at the University of Nebraska. The Farm Bits podcast comes to you each week to discuss the trends, the realities, and the value of digital agriculture. Through interviews with experts, producers, and innovators from across the agriculture industry, we hope that you step away from each episode with new practical knowledge of digital agriculture technology. Hello, FarmBits followers, and welcome to another episode of the FarmBits podcast. I'm Katie Bathke. And I'm Rana Farasati, and we are glad to have you with us as we begin our discussion on Nebraska aquaculture with Kale van der Finn from Nebraska Fish Double and Protein. Could you introduce yourself sharing your background up until now and where you are? Absolutely. My name is Keel Vanderveen. Um, I'm here on behalf of Nebraska Vegetable and Protein Company. My wife and I own. She's majority owner, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she is handling a, a truck delivery and a bunch of marketing stuff right now, along with both of her children. Oh. <laughs> so we have a five five week old at home and uh and that's quite the handful so uh background on on us um i i went to the university of nebraska lincoln um i think a accounting degree um but i didn't choose that major until i think second semester junior year prior to that i was in the biochem uh track yeah after college i i did tax work for a couple of years um, purchased a small financial planning firm, and I still run that on on a full time basis. I do about forty or fifty hours a week here at the office. Um, tried to cut back a little bit in the last couple of years, and uh, my wife went to Doan for teaching in theater, um, then the New York Conservatory Conservatory for the Dramatic Arts for theater. Um, she taught for three or four years and. Um, we always wanted to give back to our, our hometown and contribute. So, um, what was it? Four years ago, we bought a dilapidated building downtown, total of about 10,000 square foot. She quit teaching, gutted it. Um, and now we have 5,000 square foot of retail and then three 1500 square foot apartments, um, down there. So after that, we started having kids and moved out to our current home. And that's kind of where we are now. No real background in ag. Truth, truth be told that the driver of getting me involved and in, in interested in farming, growing up, I, I threw hay and, you know, cleaned out hog sheds for neighbors and things like that. Just odd jobs. Um, but after my wife and I got married in 2016, she brought home a few of those jiffy seed pots from Walmart. And one evening we planted our seeds and holy crap, a week later they started growing. Um, so I, I have a tendency to jump into things and and we ended up borrowing the neighbor's tractor and filling up a, it was about a 30 by 100 section of our yard in town and had a little garden. And then we did that for a few years and really like the idea of knowing where our food comes from. Um, so when we moved out of town, um, got the acreage with far more space, we continued that gardening, um, started to get a few chickens, and I think we ended up with 400 laying hens. And I don't know if it's helpful um, to have the background of how we got involved in 
and the fish farming. Um, but there's there's an organization called the Sherwood Foundation in Omaha, and they do a program called the Community Catalyst Cohort. Um, I was invited to participate in that. We were number 34 or 35, and essentially they just hold together 10 Nebraskans of a similar age. But for 18 months, um, they said their only requirement is you guys have to show up in a room for three hours and talk to each other. So we just form this network between us. And so um, the string is you have to do what's called an independent development plan. And um, the description is they give you $5,000 and the only, only leeway you have there or guidance is you have to go learn about something you otherwise wouldn't. And that's a really hard question outside of the academic world. Um, if my wife and I want to go learn about something or try something, we just do it. Um, so I started thinking pretty far outside of the box initially. And we had an old farrowing house that I thought, you know what, it'd be it'd be fun to raise something unique in there. And we were originally thinking sturgeon for caviar. Well, I spent a month cold calling all the companies in Russia and China and Uruguay. And quite frankly, none of them were real friendly. Then we found um, kind of related to fish farming, um, a guy that was doing tilapia and greens in Pretoria, South Africa. And this was uh, in December of 19. Uh, we had everything booked, deposits down, and then COVID started happening, specifically in South Africa, and um, canceled the trip with a week left, and ended up um, in March of 2020, just after our oldest was born, flying out to Half Moon Bay, working a farm called or Ouroboros Farms, and they were raising koi and trout in a low-density system, meaning the lowest amount of fish possible to grow the produce. And then they were growing um, head lettuce for all the, the high-end restaurants around San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I invited my neighbor to go with me. I just said, you know, we'd been fishing for a while uh, together about five, six years ago in Canada. And I kind of just called him and said, hey, do you want to go on an adventure? And he said, yes. So we flew out there and on the way home, we basically said, hey, if he can do it, we can do it better in Nebraska. Got home and started kind of narrowing down what we wanted to do. And we figured we don't want a hobby system. Um, we want to build a pilot system that will inform what we do next. So we spent about three months doing a deep analysis on what what fish we'd like to grow. And ultimately, it, it came down to economics. It's you know, we look for the highest value viable fish in a recirculating system. And we landed on Atlantic salmon. Uh, coho would have been far easier, uh, trout um, and tilapia, but but salmon are, are pretty darn picky, which is why they demand a, a higher uh, price in the overall market. And we just started calling everyone we could find in the industry or around the industry and asking for help, um, asking what, what they're doing and why they're doing it. We had far more help from the University of Iowa, a guy named uh, Joe Morris. He jumped on Zoom after Zoom after Zoom, pulled in all of his partners, 
and really helped us narrow down the scope of what we wanted to do. So we spent, again, about three months narrowing all that down, just with a pencil and pad designing it within the space of, of the existing building and what we were willing to add on. And our, our final decision was, hey, we want to do all this ourselves as much as possible so we understand the nuts and bolts of how things work, why this piece of equipment operates the way it does, and furthermore, get hands-on knowledge for the next facility of what we like and what we don't like. Um, and there's no better way to do that than to glue every dang pipe in the system, plumb the whole thing, to put it all together. Uh, so we spent better part of a year and a half doing that nights and weekends. You know, at, I say nights, but it was mostly mornings for me. The typical schedule was, you know, get up at three, work up, up at the fish farm, farm till about seven, come to the office and go home, put the girls down and get up and do it again. And then 12, 14 hour days every Saturday and Sunday. So what we ended up with was, uh, it's about a hundred thousand gallon recirculating system. Um, with both both mechanical and biological filtration using a, a relatively low stocking density by industry standards for high fish health, capable of producing on the low side about 25 tons of salmon per year. Um, paired it with the, the greens production, uh, partially because that helps pay the bill along the way. Um, power bill is pretty substantial. So we're producing, oh, right around a ton, a ton and a half of washed, ready to eat lettuce every month. So that's that's kind of how we got to where we are. Our, our partners, they were ready to refocus on retirement. So my wife and I are now sole owners with her at 51. Yeah, uh, we have three full-time employees, just recruited two new ones. They moved from Vermont last month. Two people that consider themselves part-time well, that's awesome. So I like that you went through um, your development plan and kind of how you really made it come about. Yeah, it is really interesting to hear like your journey with the different background, but you finally like made up with the aquaculture farming. I was like also interesting that you said you also grew a vegetables, right, in this aquaculture. So what type of vegetables that currently grown in the harmony of the fish farming? Have you ever tried uh, another vegetable than lettuce uh, that has been unsex unsuccessfully grown before? So right now we're, we're doing lettuce uh, mainly because Salmon have a very, very tight uh, parameter on pH um, tolerances for about 20 different um, water quality parameters and nutrients that, you know, if, if we deviate 10% on phosphorus, for example, 10% um, off of our, our target number, our fish die. So the, the fish really dictate the water quality and our system right now is a coupled system, meaning everything's connected together, flowing in a big loop. So with a coupled system, the fish dictate what produce you're able to grow because uh, again, lettuce need different nutritional requirements and temperature requirements than say peppers or basil or, or uh, tomatoes on vine, things like that. Now we're upgrading our, our filtration system, um, as we speak, we've got all the parts and pieces 
on site. Hopefully in the next three weeks, we'll, we'll have that fully built out and we'll actually decouple our system um, because coupled systems have numerous challenges that while they're interesting and fun are very impractical for pest control. We're very limited on what we can spray um, just because it's so toxic to fish. To give you an idea like uh, pyrethrum, uh, which is largely organic and safe, um, you know, you can eat stuff like an hour after you spray it. Um, in, in our 100,000 gallons, if we spray more than two ounces of pyrethrum and it gets in the water, our fish die. So that that's an extremely limited toolbox that, that we can use for pest control. And with CEA, no matter how hard you try to keep the place tight, you're going to get pests. And having that IPM plan that's really robust um, is critical. So decoupling will allow us to build a, a far more robust IPM plan and, and have some backstops that we won't use all the time, but we won't kill our fish if we use them. That's so important, especially when we're looking at two systems of you have parameters for both of them and you're 100% right. If we connect them in some way, then, yeah, we have to consider the ends of both problems, really. <laughs> so I think that's really interesting that you bring that up. So I think we're going to go a little bit into the tech side of your system. And can okay. you tell us about how your monitoring systems and operation work for each of the ponds? So you mentioned ponds. This is all indoors. Yes. Okay. What is the correct terminology that you typically use? Probably tanks. Tanks. Uh, okay. So for your audience, I'm sure everyone knows what a harvest store silo is. Um, yes. The big blue silos. Um, our tanks, our big tanks, are just two of those rings indoors with a liner. So they're 20 foot across, um, about nine foot deep. And each of those hold... 18 to 20,000 gallons, give or take. Then we have a whole series of, of other tanks for diff, different purposes, whether it's hatching and, and rearing, um, biofiltration, overall system pressure. Um, there's a, a whole lot of that. But we have uh, this thing, which I know you guys are probably really good at, I'm not. Initially, we use just off the shelf solutions from other industries for monitoring. Um, and it was a, a hodgepodge of a bunch of different systems put together. Um, and we'd get um, every minute readings on about 20 water quality parameters. Of those, um, temperature was most critical. Uh, if we go two degrees over, our fish get unhappy and die. Oxygen is the next most critical. Um, right now, we've got about a, a 20 minute window for if something goes wrong. We've got to fix it before everything dies. And without monitoring, this would just be impossible. I'd never sleep. So we've actually taken steps to consolidate that and purchase some, some PLCs and integrated monitors that our second newest employee has a ton of experience with wiring. So all that's feeding into one control system that can actually go through steps and try to auto-correct some things, like try to restart the oxygen generator, or if pH is unresponsive to the acid or base pumps, um, it can power off and turn those back on or accelerate and decelerate. 
or if water levels in certain tanks change, it can actually control the drives or the variable drives for the motors. And we can do all that from this, um, which is pretty darn cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like um, you can control everything just by your phone which is like really good and time efficiency. As you said that you mentioned about the integrated uh, monitoring system. So I was like also curious, is it like the each of the, like the feeding system and water quality, temperature and others, do they have like sensors in each part of the tanks or how, how it works? Yeah, so there, there are fish specific feeding systems. Um, they're very, this industry is new in the U.S., but in Europe, this is very robust. I mean, it is commonplace to have fish farms. The problem with that is no one can work on the equipment you get from Europe. So we really tried hard to repurpose our existing U.S. ag tech or ag machinery um, to run our farm so that people could work on it. Um, the feed system is a great example. We use just a sow feeding system for Midwest livestock. Um, you have your drop bins and automatic controls, and I'm guessing I could call the FFA and they'd send two kids over that could rebuild the whole thing. But the air-based systems, while those are, are far more detailed for fish systems and have that integrated reporting, um, we couldn't have anyone work on it. So there are sensors in the, the feeding systems, just measurement, when do they drop, things like that, and that's all recorded. Um, the oxygen is the really the key one. It's what machines are running, what's the purity of the oxygen coming out, what's what's the concentration of oxygen in each tank, inflow and outflow, what are the total solids in the system. Um, those parameters are the, the crucial ones. So yes, there are sensors all over the place. Absolutely. It's really unique how it's all interconnected and kind of how they use how you use so much to like look at each aspect so we're going to talk about your vegetable production here in a minute so it said on your on your facebook page that the vegetables are grown in a soilless media using waste um, from the aquaculture for nutrient sources do you mind telling us more about that and what kind of solid waste that is and kind of how you collect that and go about making it useful yeah absolutely so i i guess i didn't touch base on on the overall goal of the project, it's not just to build something that's neat. We want to change the food landscape of the region. We want to relocalize food production, both on the green side and on the protein side, fish in, in particular. Um, so again, this is an R&D facility and we're, we've engaged en engineers to build a far larger facility, about 70 times the size, based on what we've learned here. So... All of that is being done within the framework of sustainability. And sustainability is this odd thing that, you know, it's it's relative to what's important to you. Is water use important to you? Um, is um, energy use important to you? Um, or is, you know, not using those harmful pesticides and chemicals? There's a lot of gray area there. So... With that view of sustainability and producing a lot of food in a small footprint, both land-wise and resource use-wise, fish have, have two types of waste just like you and I do. So liquid and solid, right? Um, the solids serve no purpose in our system. So I custom built two um, filters 
and they're just comb bottom tanks that are oh about 10 foot wide and about 15 foot tall with baffles that force the water it comes in vertically it's forced down and then up over a, a weir and then out all via gravity and that settles out about 90 percent of the solid waste we have a valve that we open in the bottom and it pushes the solids out that we collect mineralize and sell to organic farmers so that's a byproduct that's that's useful and still contributing to kind of local food production. Um, the liquid waste or ammonia is the only thing that we use for our lettuce. And that goes through a biofiltration process. Um, right now we're using a high surface area plastic chip that all of our system flows through. Um, there's about two cubic meters of the, that media in there. We put nit nitrobacter in there, which is just nitrifying bacteria, eats ammonia, turns it into nitrite. Then another bacteria eats the nitrite, turns it into ammonia, or turns it into nitrate. The reason that's so important, we would do that even without plant production. Um, fish die at above one part per million of ammonia. Um, fish die above one part per million of nitrite, but they can have up to 2,000 parts per million of nitrate. So it's really important to have a very healthy bacteria level. To give you an idea of, of the volume, um, without filtration at our feed rates, um, that 100,000 gallons of water would have about five parts per million um, added to it of ammonia every single day. So that biological filter is just, it, it's screaming. <laughs> Those are happy bacteria. So that system water then flows a part of the flow down into the greenhouse and into long troughs um, that hold styrofoam floating rafts that each raft two by four holds 36 plugs, which 36 heads of lettuce. And those are what, 80 foot long and 16 foot wide. So that all cycles back and flows via gravity back into the main system. Plants eat some of the nitrates. So that takes care of of the liquid waste, there is some residual food particles. There's some of the solid waste that doesn't get fully discharged. Our settling or our, our deep water culture troughs allow some of that, we call them fine solids to settle out. And what we're experimenting with is, I call them beneficial bugs, but they're not. Um, they're giant crayfish that, that eat that solid mass and decaying mass. So we just introduced those about a month ago. We had been manually cleaning that out. We thought, why not, why not have a critter do that for us? So we'll see if they end up doing that for us. But the third filtration system that we have is we have an advanced oxidation system. If people are familiar with ozone, uh, we're producing about 700 grams of ozone per hour. And we're producing about, to feed that system in the fish, about 400 CFM of 90% pure oxygen at 60 PSI, which is a very substantial amount of oxygen. That ozone we inject into the water and we cycle the entire system volume through that ozone exposure skid every single day. So the ozone O3 uh, destroys anything in the water that we don't want to be there. The water that comes out the other side is, is basically pure. It's a larger system than you see in the bottling plants for Coca-Cola or Dasani. Um, that flows into a, a sterilization system. Um, so we have, it's like a 20,000 watt 
or UV system that then sterilizes all the water coming back into the system that breaks down the ozone back to water and pure oxygen. Just like you and I fish are, are harmed by ozone. Ozone will eat your lungs more or less. It'll eat a fish gills. So we have, we have to protect the fish from that as well. Um, the only chemical or nutrient that we've had to add is iron. Our ozone system tends to eat all the iron that's naturally in the fish feed. Um, so we do have to supplement iron. Okay. It is it is so insightful the way you explain it because like it seems all of the systems are connected and you also use uh, a lot of filtration, which is really nice. And the recycling parts is really like supporting one another. It is really a new engaging things for me uh, because like back home, the aquaculture is just like so simple. I, I'm from Indonesia, so it's just like uh, the conventional one. And we don't really put like a lot of technologies and like um, utilize all of the resources that we have in the uh, aquaculture or the farming, fish farming. That kind of plays into the goal of the protein that you produce. Um, you know, high quality water mm -hmm. leads to better fish quality. That's the only way you can control fish health. You can't, mm -hmm. can't give the fish an antibiotic. Um, you can't just treat one fish. So it's all about a healthy ecosystem to keep the fish mass, mass healthy and vibrant. And then on, on the feed side of things, um, that's our, our biggest investment. That's our biggest cost. And we use high quality locally sourced food because that directly impacts the water quality. You know, we could save 50, 60% on feed going with another company, a larger producer. But when we trial that, you end up getting downstream effects and filtration and other systems that are just horrid. And all of that leads to flesh quality that's inconsistent with, well, wild caught. We, we want to be indifferent from wild caught. I see. Interesting. Uh, I'm also like curious with the with the amount of the technologies that you have and the uh, integrated system of the aquaculture and like vegetable growing that you also have. Do you uh, face any challenges in terms of applying this technology and also like developing uh, your business in Nebraska? Because like as I know, Nebraska is like a meat state or like mostly plant crops, and I haven't seen any like aquaculture before which is like also such an interesting topic for me yeah yeah there's i think we we got permit number 13 for fish farming in nebraska um a lot of those farms um other farms are there's a couple of shrimp operations there's a trout operation the vast majority are selling the fish to either stock aquariums or farm ponds so there's there's always regulatory challenges that's been a, a steep learning curve. The state of Nebraska has been great to work with, by the way. They're just outstanding folks. But we, we've had a steep learning curve. We get our genetics from Iceland, so we import eggs every 90 days. And um, I, I actually had to get a, uh, a license to import, um, which isn't just for one species. It's for any animal, uh, which is kind of kind of strange. But... Uh, but that, that was quite a hurdle, figuring out the import process and how to keep the eggs at five, five degrees Celsius throughout the transport process. It's a complex system when it's all put together, but you just break it down one piece at a time. 
and just staying calm and thinking, why isn't this one piece working um, is, is really the key. Um, the FDA has been great to work, uh, work with on fish processing. So we do fully process our fish on site. Um, what leaves our facility is ready to eat fillets or portions. And then the USDA and state of Nebraska is what covers the, the commercial kitchen for the, the plants. And they've been great as well. That's awesome to hear. You talked about sustainability and kind of how you want to locally source your food. So my next question is along those lines. In terms of promoting food security in Nebraska and beyond, do you plan to add more fish or vegetable types or what does your future look like for your business? We, we have big dreams. So um, I mentioned that we're, we've engaged with an engineer, um, the guy that's world known worldwide for building very efficient uh, fish farms. Um, so that's a 3,000 metric ton system. That'd be 6.6 million pounds of salmon per year in phase one. I, I'm a huge fan of, they call it, what is it, the big hairy audacious goal. And if if you don't have, if you don't have a stretch goal, it's just going to go on forever. So our, our goal is to break ground next year on that facility. It'd be about a $120 million facility. Um, employ more or less 50 people. Um, on the plant side of that, we have plans that I don't know that we're gung ho about doing that all at once, but that would support about 2.3 million heads of lettuce, about half a million pounds of tomatoes, and a quarter million pounds of strawberries annually. That that would be substantial for a region, and we're we're pretty excited about aggressively pursuing that. That's more than my wife and I can write a check for them. Wow, that's that's actually crazy. Like that's insane amounts of locally sourced produce. Um, also, just like job opportunities for people. That would put fish farming on Nebraska's map, really. I think that's a really awesome goal. That's really cool. Yeah, we'll see how the next few months go. It should be a fun ride. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It will be like nice for the entire states, like having all the uh, locally sourced foods with all the proteins. And it, it also like can increase the health of the people here which is like such a nice, like impactful movements, I would say. In terms of like promoting your business in Nebraska, do you mind like sharing interesting stories about it? Because like uh, having like the Atlantic salmon in Nebraska is really a new thing, I guess, for most of the people. You know, it's it's a lot about education. Um, most people uh, think about farmed fish and it's, it's muddy ponds and, and you get a muddy taste to it. We've deployed a number of technologies. One of them is a proprietary feed ingredient that removes off-flavor molecules that, again, you can test for. It's 2-MIB and jasmin are the two uh, molecules that cause those flavors, and we test for that uh, monthly in our fish and water. Um, but that's proprietary feed technology that's, that's driving that. Um, as far as promotion, we we really like building relationships, and and my primary business as a financial planner is all relationship based. So when when we started with this on the lettuce sales, we just load up some boxes of samples, drive around, and shake people's hands and say, "Try it and tell us what you think." We did do the farmers market in Omaha this year, and that's been incredible because it gave us exposure to a, a different market that 
you know, you get restaurants, you get colleges, you get schools that come in there, try our stuff. And now we just have a weekly email that goes out Thursday morning, orders in by uh, Monday morning, and then we deliver fresh Wednesday. It's pretty darn neat. But there is a, you know, an education process for, for the consumer. People see wild caught Atlantic salmon. Well, there's not a, a population of Atlantic salmon in the wild that's commercially fished. There's other salmon that is commercially fished in the wild, but not Atlantic salmon. Um, and the fish that you're getting, um, Walmart, Hy-Vee, even most of your higher end places and restaurants, they're grown in net pens out in the ocean that environmentally very, very controversial. You're seeing Canada shut down the operations on the West Coast. You're seeing Norway tax those operations because it's a giant nitrogen and ammonia dump in the ocean. So there's a number of, of issues with that. But, you know, the, the biggest thing is, is a freshness. You get those operations in Norway. They're pulling fish out of the water. Um, they stun and gut them then let them sit in a cold cooler for three days to get them past something called the rig. It's where the meat basically claws to the bone. Uh, then they process them, chip them over in a container. And anyone that tells you that fish has not been frozen, <laughs> they're lying to you. <laughs> it, that just does not exist. Uh, there's no way for that to happen. So some education around what you're actually buying um, in the store is, is really important. Um, and then the the environmental impact of, of those net pens in the ocean, I think is going to become a, a bigger and bigger item moving forward. That's awesome. I love that you bring that up, the environmental aspect, especially in Nebraska, where we're not as familiar with fish farming or kind of how fish gets to our table. I think that's a unique and very interesting aspect that you're bringing to our viewers. We talked a little bit about what you most look forward to your business. Do you have anything else you'd like to add with that? I, I could share the happiest part of every day. I come home from the office. We have dinner as a family and our oldest will be three in February. And her job in her mind is she has to feed the fish. If she doesn't walk up the hill with dad to feed the fish and collect the eggs, the fish starve. So we get to walk into the fish shed. She takes a little handful. It can't be more than, you know, 20 pieces of fish food and throws them in the tank. It just makes her so damn happy that it makes it all worth it. That's awesome. But what we're looking forward to really is is just providing more diversity in jobs, diversity in where our food comes from, and, and contributing back to our community and state. I, I think the U.S. is, you know, probably four or five decades behind Europe in, in fish uh, production, specifically cold water fish. Uh, warm water fish, we've got loads of farms down south, but cold water fish, we're just behind the curve. And we have everything we need. In the Midwest, we have all the feed inputs we could possibly need. We have labor that's used to it. We have an abundance of water, which recirculating, you don't need a bunch, but you have all the pieces. It's just, we're a little bit behind. It's always like a heartful moment when you see like your family is also enjoying the things that you do. So interesting. If our listeners want to know like about the Nebraska vegetable and protein, where can they find more information about you? And do you consider like coming to the Lincoln uh, farmer's market maybe so we can like know your products too? Yeah, we're on Facebook. That's been our main means of communication. And, and all of our contact information is on there. 
um, the team has actually taken a, a truck and boxes out to build relationships in Lincoln next week. Um, so we hope to have some retail locations in Lincoln uh, coming soon. Um, but certainly there, there's a place called Cornhusker Beef in Nebraska City that we keep stocked, Ellsworth Crossing and Waterloo. And then we'll, we're at a number of restaurants. Send us a message, um, follow our Facebook page, and we try to make sure people are aware of how to how to try our products. Uh, we do not offer tours at this time, just like a hog confinement is, it is a biosecure facility. We do want to have, say, a monthly tour day to invite the public in um, to do some education for local kids, um, do some promotional things like that. That's awesome. And then is there anything we didn't talk about today that you might want to add or mention to share with our listeners? Well, none of this stuff is difficult. It, you know, it, it's complex when you put it together, but I, I'm a finance guy and we've figured it out. It hasn't always been cheap, but, you know, there's no reason people can't start growing something at whatever scale they're at. And maybe it's not a hard fish like salmon. Maybe it's tilapia. Maybe it's just a garden in their backyard, but it's incredibly rewarding. And I'd encourage and, you know, help whoever wants to get started in it. That's awesome. Yeah, a tradition on the Farm Bits podcast is to ask a piece, uh, a piece of advice. So what advice do you have for anyone that's interested in aquaculture startups? If it's at any large scale, make sure your electrician will answer his phone in the middle of the night. <laughs> and, and also just ask for help. People are happy and willing to help. You know, a great example is an old neighbor of ours just started showing up to help through the building process. And that's not fun stuff. It's labor intensive, dangerous. He showed up like every day for six months, started looking around and I said, can, can we start paying you? Because you've worked probably a thousand hours. He's like, well, if you want to, yeah, but this is it's worth doing. So don't be afraid to ask for help and don't forget to thank people. Thank you very much to Keel Vanderveen for taking the time to join this episode of the Farm Bits podcast. It's really exciting to hear about how his business started for the goal of sustainable food sources in Nebraska. One of my favorite parts of this episode was learning Keel's path as an aquaculture startup. I also think integrating the technologies for manage the entire aquaculture and hydroponics is so insightful and efficient. I hope you enjoyed the episode and we look forward to sharing another digital egg story with you next week on FarmBits. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the Farm Bits podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts to be informed about the latest content each week. 
We welcome your feedback. So if you have comments or questions for us, please reach out to us over email, on Twitter, or in the review section of your favorite podcast platform. Our contact information can be found in the show notes. We would like to thank Nebraska Extension for their support of this podcast and their commitment to providing high-quality informational material to members of the agricultural community in Nebraska and beyond. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the views of Nebraska Extension or the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We look forward to you joining us next week for another episode of Farm Bits. 